This is the one you were looking forward to doing, Hannah, right? Hannah, I had originally written for back in the prayer series. And the prayer series ended up being too long. And when I was writing the prayer series, or when I was preaching the prayer series, I was writing the Not So Little Women series. And I thought, oh, I could pull that one out and I could actually put it in the Not So Little Women series. And then the Not So Little Women series, we did all these weeks and it's like, oh no. And that's why Hannah is the first week of 2024, because I was not going to be Pinana and just ignore her again. So yeah, I, I was looking forward to it because I think her prayer is a very interesting story and something that maybe in our culture we don't fully relate to because of how much children became idols in that culture and being a mother was the center of idolatry as well, even though they would probably never say that just like we wouldn't, but still runs deep in different ways. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Leading Together podcast. I'm sitting here with Jen and Judy, and we are here to discuss week 15 of our Not So Little Women series. I had to double check that on Hannah. So ladies, what do we think of this story, this message? Okay, a little trivia. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> How no. many gallons of water for what? <laughs> Hannah's name is a palindrome. <laughs> no. Okay, real real talk now. I don't know if I've heard a message on Hannah before. I don't think like I have. Exclusively about Hannah. It mostly focuses on Samuel. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being in the spot of wanting a baby so bad. Mm-hmm. And we were planning on naming him Samuel. So mm-hmm. I just really. And you did. And I did. <laughs> That is yeah. sweet. First, you feel bad for Santa. You know, she's being really abused by Panini. I mean, Panina. <laughs> Panina. Panina. That sounds wrong. <laughs> See, so she's being really um, abused by the second wife, which mm. even Aaron says, yeah, not a good idea to have several wives. More wives, years. more problems. Yes. <laughs> For years, yeah, probably, because every year they would go to, the t- you know, and she would rub it into Hannah, and she has several kids, so. Yeah, so yeah. it went on year by year. Yes. For seven. Ugh. For a long time. That's a long time. That's a long time. Thinking about the relationship between Hannah and Panina, whatever her name is, it's so sad, just the relationship, but I was like, oh, that's so human in the worst way. I just how we can wound each other out of our own insecurities mm, yeah. as opposed to like what could that relationship have been if if there was a contentment mm. you know within her and, and being able to minister to Hannah and her in her grief it's just sad that's funny how that can go two ways mm-hmm. living for self or God being in the midst of it mm-hmm. again so real such a real story from the Bible and I'll kind of Oh, honey, I, I'm as, aren't I as wonderful to you as 10 sons? <laughs> a plus for effort. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of surprised, given the cultural context. I'm actually a little surprised that that was his yeah. response. I think an idiom of the day, because we saw it in Ruth when mm. they were talking to Naomi. Like, oh, this son has been, you know, this daughter, Ruth, has been greater Worth to you than seven sons. Oh, that's I right, seven. Uh, so it kind of really goes crazy. Oh, the 10 sons. I'm better than 10 sons, you know. Mm. His response is surprising to me that he's not pressuring her to mm-hmm, have mm-hmm. a child either, but also he's centering it on himself and his and right. her relationship with him. He's he's not really giving her the truth about where her security and value should be. Mm-hmm. It's still rooted in a relationship. Doesn't idolatry just sneak itself in so like a snake? Yeah. 
It really does where you don't even realize it is our idolatry. We see that her infertility is a, it's a real personal grief for her. Mm-hmm. She feels on the outside of her community, can't participate in the work of God's people without a child. And we see she's just deeply grieved because of it. Oh, it was Mary when she then left to Elizabeth and she came back ready to praise the Lord. I see Hannah in this as well, where, you know, she goes through her prayer and her prayer is pouring herself out just like I feel like Mary did in other ways. But once you get to this point, it's almost like the Holy Spirit then steps in and gives you that strength to then move on. Her first prayer, she comes in bitterly sad, weeping bitterly. Wept bitterly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, her face no longer is sad. Like her whole countenance has changed. And she has not been drinking. No, she Uh was not drunk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But even just that prayer time, God hadn't even done anything yet. And that prayer time completely changed her Mm -hmm. outlook. I think we talked about this in another message where I asked if you have ever come to that point of weeping bitterly over something and how then you you feel that God then steps in and change and gives you that 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 peace that truly passes all understanding. Even have you ever like come to prayer time and you're just so sad you have no words mm-hmm. but you know the spirit makes intercession for you. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and you feel walk away with that comfort. Assurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's kind of amazing. And how much we hate to be there, but yet that's when true change steps in. Yeah. I like how the, the text talks about her. She rose, right, and taking action. Erin explains, and it just reminds us prayer is action. Like sometimes mm-hmm. we see it as this passive thing. Like I see, I've seen memes even about this, just um, culturally, like people criticizing, you know, thoughts and prayers, it's like uh, that's not just some trite statement or it doesn't have to be like prayer is actual um conversation like petitioning with a living god and do we see it that way i thought aaron did a really good job talking about um the nature of oppression and how if, if it doesn't take one form it certainly will take another and the ways we keep kind of like the pendulum swings maybe from extremes and yet we're still caught in, in this kind of systemic oppression, maybe not like how they were in the ancient Near East with childbearing, but, you know, for women and men today, oppression all the same, just with a different veneer on it. I think she longs to partner with the work of God so much that mm-hmm. she's like, I, I want this and I'm going to give him back to you right. to use. And I mean, Salah's huge yeah. in, in here in this pivotal time for Israel. Mm-hmm. It's, it says too that say in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Mm-hmm. But and then we get Samuel on the scene, and, and we're going to get a lot of the word of the Lord yeah. now. And it's it's exciting time for Israel. They've had a dry spell, of not hearing, and it's kind of their fault, you know. But because of her humility, trusting God, and giving, keeping her promise, and giving him back, we're going to see great things being done because of her humility. You know, God can work in that. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Aaron reminded us that she wanted to be a mother and bring life. But in God's presence through prayer, she realized that she does bring life with her sacrifice mm-hmm. of giving her son. Probably turned him over at three years old. Yeah, I've had a lot of times with my kids where I've had to turn them over. There's many times you have to do that. And I don't raise them to stay with me, but it's, it's still really hard. 
And they were adults and teenagers when those things were happening. And I can't imagine it three years old. Yeah. How heart-wrenching that would be. Yeah, it would be rough. And she did it. Yeah, she, she kept her promise, too. And she probably knew he wasn't going into a great situation. Kind of people knew that Eli and his sons weren't... His worthless sons. Yes, his worthless <laughs> yeah. sons. Yeah. And even Eli is so kind of spiritually bankrupt that he doesn't even recognize, you know, true prayer. He's like, woman, are you drunk? <laughs> it's like, no, I'm praying. I'm pouring my heart out to God. Don't you? The you hysterical woman trope that goes back that yeah. far. I know. Huh? I was thinking about how even when God answers our prayers out of his kindness, it can be for us, but it's, it's not about us. Yeah. Even in the gifts he gives us, like you see that with Samuel. Like yeah. it, it was an answer to her prayer and to her desire, but it's ultimately about his mission. Right. Even her second prayer is all about God. She doesn't mm. insert herself in there anywhere. It's all about God's right. attributes and, and uplifting him and who he is. And it's not about herself at all. It's all about God, like you just said. There's something I was thinking about especially in a GC context for you both as leaders, how how would you kind of shepherd someone through that process of maybe identifying idolatry and encouraging them to turn away from that? Because I think there are a lot of ways that can be done. We've seen it done probably very poorly and unhealthily, but what's a way you could really walk alongside someone? I think I would encourage someone to really start to focus on who God is, mm-hmm. his attributes and just get your eyes off yourself and on who God is and all the great things that he's already done for us and maybe start to turn your affections away from worldly things and more towards God as you get to know him you fall deeper mm-hmm. in love with him yeah. you get to be thankful that he's included you in in his family and i think getting back to those basics of who God is starts to change our affections mm-hmm. that would maybe be a start i think that's a big big start because then everything else starts to fall in place. I think I would start somewhere different. I mean, everyone's different, right? And how they approach this. I don't think this is a right or wrong, Mm -hmm. but I think, I think I would want to know more about the, the underlying desire. Mm. What's their gospel need? Yeah. Yeah. I think I'd really want to be able to hone in. What is that? What is, what do you believe may not be true? Of course, what do you believe this thing is ultimately going to give you? Why is that so important to you? And I think I would want to empathize with that. And then I would probably move toward, like you both are saying, you know, how is Jesus so much better? Mm. How does he meet that exact need and everything else? Good. A little fruit to root. Uh-huh. A little bit. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. It's powerful, <laughs> though. It's it very powerful. Yeah. That would be a good route. Because I think with that, there, <clears throat> it allows a person to be seen in a way, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And heard. Mm-hmm. Throwing God into the picture. And so I think it begs the question, too, in our GCs, are we getting to the point <clears throat> relationally, whether it's in your, you know, if you have a weekly gathering or maybe in smaller spaces or are relationships getting to the point where you can be made aware of each other's desires? You know, there has to be a relational knowing there to be able to speak into that place. I remember I went to a friend's baby shower and her mom actually kind of gave like a devotional message. And it was on this story of Hannah, like releasing her son. And it was before I had kids and it it really stuck with me. Thought that was, Mm. it is like so heart wrenching in a lot of ways, but also really beautiful to think about like entering motherhood with that kind of perspective. They're not ours. They're not Mm -hmm. ours. They're not ours. 
But I think our world tells us. Yeah. This is your world. This is who you are. Yeah. This is your success or your failure. Christian culture, especially. I think we idolize the family yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. I've had to do a lot of releasing with my kids. And God, God's there in it. It's mm-hmm. hard, but he's, he's there and helps you through it and reminds you of the truth and that they're, they're not ours. I feel like I've had to release some of my kids into their sinful life, mm-hmm. you know, and not control that and just say, okay, God, you've got them. They're yours to deal with I'm, I'm not going to be their holy spirit yeah but in, isn't that freeing to to release that control because there's this idea that if they're behaving badly it's a reflection yes. on me right yeah. you know if they didn't follow god somewhere i i messed up and i heard i think i heard jeff maybe i share this with you guys jeff Anderstolt say we don't hold it against god when his kids act bad you know mm. and so that was like such a freeing moment for me that i'm like oh i mean no, no parents perfect. I'll own every single mistake I've done, but you know it was it was a very freeing to know. Okay, God, they're yours. You know, you release, and it made me want to hide what my kids are doing, right? You know, and not be honest about it. But in gospel community, we I've gotten more comfortable sharing and saying, "Yeah, this is my kids' struggle." And for a long time, I thought it meant I was a bad mom. And also, their story is not over. Their story yeah. is not over. You guys really went into the whole ideas of idolatry and motherhood, and, it, and it's heartbreaking mm-hmm. to, to think about that. And really in our culture, how we have taken children and we you know, we don't see them as the same way, like you have to be my savior. Many times people treat them that way. Right. The, or the nuclear family as a whole. We yeah. idolize that. We. Well, some people do, and some people just try and rip it to pieces and say it doesn't matter at all. And there's just this whole discussion around the family right now that doesn't center on the gospel. It centers upon us. Uh, so as groups start meeting up, um, this is kind of a heavy topic for some, probably dealing with things. How would you encourage navigating difficult situations or that may arise with the adultery um, issue? Idolatry or adultery? It's not like you said adultery, <laughs> I right? Totally I said adultery too. too. I was like... Well, there you go. That's not where I went with this, but okay. <laughs> that can come up. <laughs> I think it'd be good if we get people first and foremost just to be able to identify the places of idolatry in their life. The, our, our idols, we don't think are idols. Whether it is children or a relationship or money or whatever, we, we don't see our idols as idols. But if we could help people to identify in their lives what brings them satisfaction and what brings them hope and what makes them feel fulfilled that is not Christ, that's a good picture of probably what we are centering our lives upon and what our idols are. And I think everybody has them. I mean, I already spoke to this, I guess. Roll the tape. Okay. Yeah, you could do that. <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts on Hannah before we sign off? The ability of her and Elkanah just to let Samuel go right, to entrust him into the hands of the Lord. Because they had to see Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's kids, Mm -hmm. and being like, That's who my kid's going to be around? Yeah, Mm -hmm. my kid's going to be around those guys. And did this guy raise his kids like that? I mean, they trust into the hands of the Lord. And look at Samuel. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that he was perfect, but that kid grew up 
loving God. And God moves him into the position that it seemed like everyone else had abdicated. Mm -hmm. And he becomes that, you know, he's not the priest, but he is the prophet over Israel, which is just beautiful. All right. We'll be back next week with the start of Ephesians. Do we have a theme song? I was going to um, something. I don't know. <laughs> Go for it. No, I don't know if we had something. I'm not going to be all. We can. Ephesians. We don't. I'm not, I'm not that far ahead. <laughs> but it's next week. 